Welcome to the Jesus, Sex, and Politics podcast. I'm Micah, and Nathan is not here, but we're going to talk about all those things that culture doesn't want to talk about that will scare you. So again, thanks for listening, everyone. Nathan's not here today, and it's not because I want to remove Nathan from the show. I want everyone to, because he said last last week when he was powering through, he had like COVID or or uh, or something or something crazy uh, going on the the Spanish flu, and he was powering through, and he said I have to be here because Micah's trying to kick me off the show. I'm not trying to kick him off the show. I want him to be on the show. His schedule is crazy. It's hard to schedule this guy. He's like traveling the world, winning people for the for the Lord. So I don't want to hear it from Nathan next time he's back in the studio that I'm trying to kick him off the show. You heard it here first, folks. He is always going to be a part of this show. So uh, don't buy into the fake news from Nathan Peter now. All right. On that note, got that out of the way. I have a great guest on the phone with us. Uh, she's been a, a friend of mine for, for a long time. She was a huge... Uh, uh, just um, a mover and shaker in the Tea Party movement uh, 15 years ago. She has uh, run for Congress uh, 10 years ago. She's running for Congress again in the 8th District, which is down south. Uh, she works on uh, gubernatorial campaigns, and she's the Owen County uh, GOP chair chairwoman. So it is my honor to welcome to the studio via phone, uh, Christy Risk. Christy, thanks for joining us. How are you? I'm doing well, Micah. Thank you for having me. I appreciate the opportunity. Absolutely. Okay, so Christy, tell us about yourself. Tell the listeners, uh, you know, a little bit of your backstory, and then, um, and then what 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 kind of led you into running for uh, Congress? As uh, Rob Kendall likes to say, did you lose a bet? <laughs> yeah, good old Rob. <laughs> well, in 2010, you know, I ran for that seat uh, in the congressional district and ceded it to uh, the current Congressman Larry Bouchon by four points. So it was a very tight race. Um, and you, you mentioned the Tea Party. You know, I didn't go searching for the Tea Party. The Tea Party found me because they said that my principles and my values aligned with what theirs were, which was mostly let's reduce government, let's reduce taxation, let's reduce regulation. Those were all things that I was uh, staunchly supporting. And so um, I was their candidate because I was uh, aligned with their values. I have four children. I live in Owen County. I am the Owen County chair, and we're shaking it up here and getting people involved, and I'm excited um, that we have so many Republicans that want to be engaged, and, and we have a lot of good things happening in our county. I'm just, um, I'm really blessed to be part of that. Um, I have a business. We, we uh, get to manufacture chocolates, and we make a, a great product. It was my mom's recipe that I took and proprietized with uh, fruits and, and juices and different things that I do just a, a lot, a lot different than what she did when she made it. And then I have four children. So I have three sons and a beautiful daughter and a, a wonderful granddaughter. Uh, my three boys just all shocked me to pieces in the last month. All three of them enlisted boom, 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 uh, into the army. So. That's wow. got our household a little bit uh, topsy-turvy right now. So that, that was a shocking. My 17-year-old, he always wanted to go in there. I'm like, that's been his lifelong career. And he's a history buff and loves it. And he's like, Mom, you know, I got to go in the Army. I got to help protect America. And then someday I'm going to come back and I want to run for office. And I'm like, all right. So he was, he was leaps and bounds ahead of the educational system and um, he was ready to graduate at 17 and he wanted to go into the military. So his dad and I made an agreement with him. If you finish all your, your schoolwork in the next year, this was when he was 16, 
uh, we'll sign for you to go into the military. So he did. Well, one week before he was going into the military, my middle son comes to me and says, oh, hey, by the way, I met with the recruiter. I'm going in the military. And we're like, what? <laughs> what are you talking about? You were the one that said you weren't going to do that. And he's like, no, I'm going to. And, and we're like, okay. So um, the day that we took him to drop him off to MEP so that they could uh, do his, his final swearing in and then uh, take him off to boot camp, my oldest son met with a recruiter and said, oh, hey, by the way, mom. And I'm like, this is not really happening. <laughs> Wait, are, <laughs> so, they just trying to, are they trying to one-up the, 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 the youngest son? Is that like, ah, we can't let him beat us to the punch. We're going to go uh, exactly. do it before him. Like, so, <laughs> you know, it. I think they all just want to be together, and, and they're very close. Our family is very close. And, and I really think it was as one left, the other one's like, well, wait a minute. I don't want to be left behind. And the other says, I don't want to be left behind. <laughs> They're all doing three really unique things. Uh, my youngest is a combat medic. He's going for combat medic. The middle son's going for um, radar IT. And then my last one's going to go air missile defense. So wow. pretty, pretty good. You know, what's really exciting is um, their recruiter, when they, when they did their ASVAB, he's like, wow. Their scores are really high, and I'm like, yeah. So the homeschool mom didn't do so bad. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. It's awesome. There's, yeah. there's a there, there's a lot to be said about homeschooling right now. Indiana's one of the most uh, 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 blessed states when it comes to just uh, homeschool uh, freedom and parents yeah. being able to raise their kids. That's great. So you homeschooled yeah, your kids. Yeah, I'm very proud of it. Yeah, you homeschooled your kids. You you got a chocolate business, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, you are a Tea Party candidate. I don't know. Uh, why voters in the in the eighth district in Indiana would ever in a million years not vote for you? Because uh, it just sounds like you're checking all the boxes. Whether it's I like chocolate or I love America <laughs> or I love education. <laughs> so yeah. yeah, this this is great. So so you um so you're I want to talk a little bit about local politics here in a second. But before we get into that. Tell us about uh, why you're running for for Congress. That's a big step. You did it. You did. Was it 2012? You, you ran against uh, Larry Larry Bouchon, like you were saying. Was that was that the uh, the 2000? Well, 2010 was 2010 was our my original race. Okay. Yes. So 12- and we seated, uh, I did run again in 2012. Yes. And, okay. And we we hugely showed out in 2012 too, which um, shocked a lot of people because normally first. Uh, first-term incumbents like that don't get challenged. And when we did and we got such a high percentage, it, it really um, had people questioning, wow, what is, what's she doing? What's going on? And it's just the, the disenfranchisement that voters have. And they, they really want, they really want somebody that's going to be a stalwart for freedom. Yeah. And, and I think that you, you hit the, the nail on the head, the disenfranchisement, uh, this, uh, that's that disenfranchisement of voters is is that that's feeling being felt all around the the nation and specifically in Indiana and specifically within the Republican Party. You and I have talked multiple times that uh, GOP voters are constantly feeling unheard, unwelcomed, and they're not they're not being brought in to uh, to partner with uh, those in the establishment. They're being pushed out or they're being uh, they're being basically uh, blocked from coming in. And, and I think that's, that's the, that's reson, that message is resonating with a lot of people right now. And, and as a, as a chairman, how do you deal with that? How do you allow for good Republicans, new Republicans to come in, but, but at the same time, protect the, the fold so that we're, they're, they're not allowing like these Democrats who are 
cloaking themselves in Republicanism and saying, oh, I'm a Republican, and they want to come in and cause chaos and destroy the, destroy the party. How do, you, how do you walk that line as a, as a county chair? Well, you know, it's different for me. I have a smaller county, and our county is pretty um, tight-knit, and I'm involved in the community, so I know the people. And I tell you, it is really hard um, because you have your different size counties. So you have really big counties like Vigo and Marion and, and Vandenberg and um, Allen County. And, you know, some of those large counties, I, I just I have to say hats off to those chairs because I, I don't know if I can handle – you know, 200 um, precinct people and, and delegates and stuff. But I mean, that's a lot. That's a lot to do in those counties. But in my county in particular, and I think there are opportunities in those larger counties to create more, um, you know, events where people can get engaged. So maybe if you're in a huge county, you're going to have to go outside of your norm instead of always having your meetings in the same spot. You need to move around your county. So even in my own county, which is small, I have candidate forums, but instead of having them right in our county seat at Spencer, I have them, like we're having one in Gosport, we're having one in Coal City, we're having one in Freedom, because I want the opportunity for people in those areas to feel like they can get involved and they can have a voice and they can hear. Now, that's a really small micro scale, but that that would, that you could replicate that in some of these larger counties um, and do the same thing. But for me, uh, I don't feel threatened. So this, you know, being county chair is not my identity. It's an opportunity. And so um, the opportunity presents itself as, well, it's just a real short synopsis. So I had a social, uh, a chairwoman's social um, meetup recently where I just provided hors d'oeuvres and I sent out at, at my own expense, 600 invitations to four primary voters in my county. So these are Republicans that aren't engaged because obviously we don't have 600 people uh, being active in our party. But I had about 65, so a 10% ROI, um, 65 new people that don't normally participate in the party come. And just, they wanted to see, they were like, well, I got this invitation. I was surprised. You know, I didn't realize not. And this is another thing. So Many of them said, I didn't realize I'm not an elected official. I'm not a priest. I don't hold any position. I didn't know I could be involved. And I'm like, absolutely. You know, so I think we just have to work harder as a party to reach out and make people feel welcome. Let them know, you know, one of the things I put on my, my postcard was, and I hand wrote this and I said, you're important to the county and to our party. Um, So I think, I think making people feel like, they have a voice and they have a say and, and they are part of, of the party is, is really important. And I think sometimes county chairs forget, they get busy, you get in a rut and, and those things just, you know, people get pushed by the side accidentally. Well, you know, I think I've, I've been hearing from the Indiana Republican party for many years that we need to grow the party, grow the party. We need to be inclusive. And they, they turn to these, these woke things like DEI and they say, that's how we're going to grow the party. We're going to, we're going to turn to DEI when there are so many grassroots conservatives that don't feel welcomed in the Indiana party into the state party where like, like it's like it's like gold right under their noses, and they just don't want to. They don't want to allow that in. And these would be hardworking, faith and family values people that would that would really get behind the Republican agenda if they felt welcomed 
and heard. And yet, you know, the, the GOP, I, I would say on a, just, I see it, I see it in many different counties. I see it around the, on the state level where it's like, ah, you're not really welcome here. We want, you don't have the right skin color. You don't have the right, uh, woke, uh, you know, kind of mindset in order to be a part of this new Republican party that we're trying to build. And I, I think that's where people like me say, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like let's, let's get the God and country people in absolutely as soon as we can. And, and then we can talk about, you know, okay, do we need to expand in, in other in other directions? But but why are we pushing out the the the, the base? I, I mean, to me, I, that's never made sense to me. And so I love what you're doing because you actually just say, hey, there's a place for if you adhere to these principles of the party, there's a place for you in the party, and we're and we're gonna we're gonna try to get you on board. I I, I just I love that, Christy, and I think more chairs um, should follow your example in that. And we've got we've got a lot of good chairs. Okay. Over, yeah. Okay, the, Micah. Yeah. What's that? What? You and I you and I have had these conversations. Now hang on. Okay. <laughs> I said, be like, mom's mom's on the show with me. Now listen. Okay. Okay. So I'm not gonna throw the party under the bus, and that doesn't make me establishment or a rhino, but here's the thing too. Yeah. I will say this. Since I have become a chair, anything I have ever needed, I have gone to the state party and asked for, and they have, I mean, they are very good at responding. So, okay. I get your, I get your, I get your point. You hear this message. Now I'm going to flip this around. Okay. Okay. The voters and the people that want to be involved also have a responsibility to reach out. Okay. hundred percent. And there is a lot of, a lot of people that want to just cast stones. Oh, it's the party's fault. It's the party's fault. Well, now hang on. If you want to be involved, find a way to be involved. So go to your county chair and say, hey, you know what? Um, like I had somebody in my community that came to me and said, we have a crime watch. I'm like, great. I didn't know you were doing that. I, I love that. Let's introduce other Republicans to that. So, I mean, there is, there's a flip side. All right. So there's two sides to every sure. coin. Agree, agree with that and wholeheartedly. I think I think that in the last few months, the state party has done a lot more than we've seen in years past. And the thing is, is that there has to, there's always a domino effect. So we have to give them a little bit of grace, Pastor Becklitz. <laughs> we have to give them a little bit of grace to grow what they're doing because they are reaching out in ways, you know, they've got a new state chairman and they've got new people that for a long time, they were just a skeleton crew. Yeah. So they are building that up. So I think you will see some more of that reaching out in the time to come. But at the same time, you know, a few years ago, county chairs, I talked to them. I called every county chair in the state um, in 2022. And there was a a great deal of, um, with the chairs themselves, a disenfranchisement for them with the state party. They didn't feel like they were getting the answers they needed. They would, they weren't getting help and things. And and I hear now a lot of chairs saying, okay. And there's like this reviving in the chairs Good. that are saying, okay, I can do this. There's, there's, there's hope for me. You know, I think a lot of them felt like they were spinning their wheels doing things and it wasn't, nothing was amounting, you know, coming out of it. And now I see, I see some of that new, and there's a lot of new chairs too. A lot of chairs have retired or, or gone different directions and so you've got new chairs coming in with new and bright ideas so i i get your i get your i get both sides of it so yeah, i just want to i do want to throw that out there because good. there are some good things that are happening i agree i agree with that and and i and that is have a, a, people have a responsibility to get involved as well uh, absolutely there's there's two sides to each coin and that and i think you you one thing i've tried to 
do on the grassroots conservative side is educate them on the process, right? To your point, yeah. don't just throw stones. But I, I, I'll give you my my backstory. I've told you this story <laughs> before too. Like I, I I wanted to get involved in the Republican Party and uh, back in 2016 and 2018, and I was never welcomed by the chair in, in my county. And I actually went in 2020 and, and offered the chair a five thousand dollar donation to the the GOP here in Hamilton County. And she rejected the, the, the money. And she said, there, you, you're, there's no place for you in the Republican party, Micah, is what she told me. And I mean, flat is out told me the and, chair? what's that. Is, is she still the chair? She's not the chair now. And I, and I think, huh? but, but here's what I had to do. I had to kick down the door. Right. And, and I told her, I said, I, I don't want to be your enemy. I don't know why you're kicking me. I, I want to work with you. And I actually extended right. that olive branch. And I even took uh, a $5,000 donation to the, to the, county party to say hey i'd like to i'd like to help the county party push the republican agenda down so down the down the road and so when mm-hmm. when when that happens though so for me and that's this is what people are feeling like what like i i am you know i i was one of those guys that was saying hey i could like really be a benefit i think i could bring a lot of energy i've i've got the mm-hmm. a, a good message i believe and and so and then we get hit with this establishment saying you're not welcome here and by the way take your money and go uh pound sand and I was just like shocked. And, <laughs> and, and so I think that's where, you know, that's, I don't know if that's always establishment though, Micah, sometimes that's just personality. Well, yeah, I think it's, I think it's personality. I think it's uh power. I think people are, but you stayed with yeah. it. So you yeah, stayed with right. it. Right. And look yeah. where you are now. And that's the thing. So it's just exactly. you're a pastor, right? You're a pastor and you've got a pretty big church. So what happens when somebody comes into church? And this is my frustration with churches. People come into church and Nobody greets them or yeah. people don't come up to them and say, oh, hi, welcome. We're so glad you're here. So they get mad and they never go back. Yeah. Right. And that happens in the church and that's what happens with parties. So you could have gotten mad and said, well, guess what? That establishment, blah, yeah. blah, blah. And I'm not going to be, but you didn't. You yeah. turned your energy and you said, not only am I going to, you know, stay involved, continue to pursue yeah. this, I'm going to get other people involved. So you've done a great thing. And I think that's how, you know, we work together and, you know, and we can't hold grudges. We just, we, we absolutely, there's not enough time to hold grudges right now. We need to just move forward and work. And if it's not working with you and your county chair, they won't be county chair forever. Well, maybe some of them will, but you know, <laughs> not forever, but it's okay. Go ahead yep. and start, start something. A young Republicans, get some young Republicans, get trained yourself. Get, there is a place. If you really want to be involved. And, and that's a great point. I didn't go away. I stayed involved. I think my concern is, is that unlike, you know, Christy Risk or Micah Beckwith, 90% of the people that I know, if they are met with that, that initial, like, get out of here uh, spirit, they don't power through. And so how many good people, to the point of the church analogy, right? The reason churches try right. very hard to make people feel welcome because, we don't we don't want somebody who has great potential to walk away just for something that is as simple as like they didn't feel welcome, they didn't feel greeted. And so we do because we don't know who that person potentially is. Like that could be the next Correct. Billy Graham that you're you're pouring right. into, right? And so right. And, and in the same way, the Republican Party like we, we don't, this could be the next Ronald Reagan we're pouring into and yet we, right. we kick him away. Like, so I think that's where the frustration has come for me and for other, other people. And to your point, 
I didn't, I'm not bitter. I don't, I'm not holding a grudge. I no. just, I just got involved. I said, okay, well, you know what? I'm not, right. go, I'm not going away. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to be the best Republican and, and, uh, I'm the, I'm going to, I'm going to root myself in the principles of the party, which are rooted in the constitution, mm-hmm. which, which we right. get from Judeo Christian values. I'm going to, I'm going to begin to teach and to begin to, and to help and wherever I can. And, and, and so you've touched many lives and you've changed the process. Sure. And the thing is, is Micah, all those things that you just described, that is the world from the beginning. Yep. Yeah. You're always going to have people, you know, how many, how many abortions have happened and maybe we got rid of the person that had the cure for cancer. I mean, though, yeah. that's just, un- unfortunately, everything that you and I are discussing as frustrating as it is, it's part of the fabric of society. It's a fallen world. We're going to have these things, but you know, the optimism in me says, I'm going to do what I can. I'm going to touch as many lives as I can, and I'm going to bring hope where I can. And we plow through. We bring awareness like you're doing and like you're talking about. And we just hope that we get as many of those people that feel disenfranchised back into the fold. And that's and I think it's happening. I mean, I, I'm, I'm excited because we're we're seeing a lot of uh, people. I mean, just in the the engagement of, uh, in, at least in Hamilton County here, we have a record number of candidates running in the history of uh of our, our county and it's a lot because of the yeah, he's got a great chair too mario's PC. doing a great job up there yeah mario mario has a lot from him he's uh he's really energetic uh mario and i have mm-hmm. been friends for for a long time and i think the thing with mario that i've appreciated about him is that he he has been able to be a bridge and not a blockade does it make sense like he, mm-hmm. he doesn't always necessarily do everything that you know maybe we would want him to do as conservatives and, and mario's a, a conservative too but but he'll he's kind of balancing this you know okay i work i gotta work with the establishment i gotta work with the yeah the, he's got a lot of personality right and so so but but what i've appreciated is there's always been a bridge more so yeah. than the blockade right and i think that's yeah, he's definitely yeah. repairing the bridge yeah mm-hmm. yeah so that's been that's been good but um yeah, we've we've uh, yeah we're seeing reengagement, and so now let's turn our attention to your your platform for Congress. So it's easier to make change on a local level. It is incredibly difficult to make change in Washington. You're going to be one of 435 uh, congressmen out in uh, Washington in a very divided. Uh, you know, uh, bitter environment. So, so what, so what is your platform? What do you hope to do? How will you do it as, uh, the eighth district, uh, a representative, uh, to Washington? Yeah, that's a great question. So, you know, I think, I think the real beginning point, no matter where or who or whatever place you're in is changing the narrative. So even in, you know, like at local level of politics, dropping that social drop in, that was that began to change the narrative. And I think in Washington, you know, it's building relationships, but it's having those hard conversations. So when, when you go out there, a lot of times people are like, oh, you're a freshman, you're a nobody. Well, yes and no. I get it. You're a freshman in policy and the way things happen. But it's okay to challenge some of those. And it's okay to bring questions to the table and say, hey, I know it's always been done like that, but what about this? Or what about, you know, this opportunity? Um, and so changing the narrative and going out and building those relationships um, and helping, you know, stand beside someone and say, listen, you know, I've got your back. If you're going to do the, the make that hard decision, we're going to stand there uh, side by side. You know, for myself personally, it's returning. I've got a, a rack strategy that I've got on my website on com. And that rack strategy 
is kind of my philosophy for this is what I'm going to do as that freshman. And that's, you know, returning to constitutional governance, of, of, of course, because the, the Constitution is like the Bible. It, it's, it's golden. You know, it's there. It's not as, you know, the Bible's never going away. The Constitution can. But um, my point is that it's not an old book. It's not an old process. The forefathers were uh, amazing and the founding fathers and what they they wrote and the, and the, how it stood the test of time. So that's the first thing is, you know, returning to constitutional governance, governance um, and administ- administering change. So I really believe that we have to collaborate like with um, our attorney general, Todd Rakita, who I know that he's a constitutionalist and he's an amazing fighter for our, our state with the governor. You know, we have to, to, t- to have a dialogue that spearheads administering the change. So getting everybody thinking in that direction, talking in that, you know, making those relationships and that dialogue about administering constitutional governance at the state level and at the federal level and even the local level, and then correcting, working to correct the abuse. Uh, There's been such an abuse of power at the federal level that it's, um, you know, the backroom deals and all the things that the uh, quid pro quo, those type of things, just Starting, leading as an example, I have a good friend that's in the Senate and that person told me, you know, don't ever take that first deal because once you do, then you're locked in. So just being able to, um, you know, stand as a stalwart and say, listen, I, I'm happy to work with people. If it's good, good policy, I'm, I'm for it, but you don't have to buy my vote. And then standing together, um, you know, with, especially with our Indiana delegation. So I would like to see our congressional members have a delegation in Indiana or in Washington like Texas does. So when we take those tough votes, we've got each other's back and we support each other. That's good. So uh, I've, I've jumped on ChristyRisk.com. That's Christy with a K, K-R-I-S-T-I, Risk.com. And uh, your RACS strategy is return, administer, correct, and stand. And yeah. so that's a, that's a great uh, vision for how to actually get things accomplished uh, and I and I love that. So jump on her website there to to read about that strategy. But let me just do a quick uh, sort of a quick fire um, question and answer for people who just want to kind of know the basics about you. So where do you stand on a uh, uh, life and an abortion? So I'm 100 percent pro life. I mean, I believe that. But and here's the other thing: people are like, "Oh, well, you're you're Christian nationalist. You th- you think we have to?" No, that's not that's not true at all. My personal belief is in God and in almighty God, in the Lord of hosts, God. And so my directives and my opinions and my moral values are based on scripture. That's who I am. You know, if people don't like that, then don't vote for me. But that is what drives my, my motives and my, my principle. So I believe that before God formed us in the womb, he knew us. So we had a being, you know, before we were formed, we had a a knowledge of who we were. So I am 100% pro-life, ardently pro-life. Bible says no greater love does a man have than to lay down his life for his friend, right? So a mother, the love a mother gives to her child is to bring that child in. In fact, I I recently talked to someone. She was so pro-life. She had a a, uh, fallopian. To pregnancy and they wanted her to you know have the abortion or, or remove it and she said you know I'm, I'm going to trust God and God carried her through it and that doesn't mean that you know if somebody has an abortion that we ostracize them or we condemn them there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus but 
at the same time, um, I'm ardently pro-life, but I'm ardently pro for the women too. And there's, uh, there's a lot of women who have different stories, who have different reasons, um, and they make those decisions, they make their own decisions, and then I would still love them. You know, I'm not judgmental with that. That's good. That's good. I love that. But you would, you would, uh, let me, let me take it one step further. Um, where right now the abortion obviously issue is back at the state level as a Uh member of Congress, what do you think about getting a federal ban on abortion? I don't want to put you on the spot here with a tough question, but this is a, this is a legit question. People have been asking this, especially in the pro-life community. Should Uh we, should we have a federal ban on abortion or do we just leave it, leave it in the hands of the state? Yeah. Well, so you literally asked me a question I haven't thought about. I was going to be honest. I I honestly haven't even thought about the federal ban of it. I mean, when it came back to the state, I feel like constitutionally that's where those issues belong that that are not, um, you know, for the federal government to decide. And so federally banning it, I honestly haven't even thought about that. This is a and and I want to ask about, you know, guns and Second Amendment and border security and stuff like that, too. So I don't want to take a ton of time on this. But here's one little caveat, one little thought that I I've I've really kind of as I've wrestled with this, because to your point, I love states rights. I'm a I'm a Tenth Amendment Mm -hmm. guy. If it's not if it's not laid out in the Constitution and give it to the states. Right. But um, but the Declaration of Independence says we have three inalienable rights that have been given Mm -hmm. to us by God, life, uh, liberty and the pursuit of happiness, which was property, essentially, is what they were saying. And so, right. um, and so we 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 outlawed from a federal perspective the the selling of slaves. That was a federal, right. and that protected right. the liberty piece, right? Why mm-hmm. would we not outlaw from a federal perspective the life, like when people want to murder babies? Why right. would the federal government not come in and say, hey? states you you don't get to decide if murder is okay in your state we as a federal government have a right to to make sure that murder will never happen and if you're if you're saying that as a state we have a right to murder we're going to come in and trump that it would just be like it would be like saying hey we want to give slavery to the states i mean i I would not hear any politician yeah i I hear what you're saying yeah Yeah, i I 100 and i think that whole ivf issue that just happened um is indicative of going towards what you're saying because they ruled that those embryos were property or, you know, that that was murder by yeah. that idea. Yeah. So, yeah. so I, I, I completely see that probably being a conversation yeah. um, in the near future and, and for members of Congress. And it's, it's important. I mean, I would support if, the, if that was a law that was going through, I would support that. Yeah. yeah. I, I would, because I think that, you know, life, man, it is so important. I, I've talked to so many people who are infertile and, you know, um, the abortion issue, uh, when they could adopt a child, it's so, so important to so many people. And, and, um, yeah, I just, I'm ardently pro-life. I'm, I'm not ashamed of that. That's just who I am. It's good. No, I love it. All right. Um, Second Amendment. Uh, there's a lot of a lot of talk going through Congress. We need common sense gun reform. Common sense gun reform. What do you What do you think about that? Well, I think it's really interesting that um, Mexico is suing the U.S. for making our guns too appealing to the cartel. Did you see that? <laughs> no, did you see that? No, it I the first, I, yeah, I didn't see that. But okay, so I got you on one. That's, All right, yeah. uh, that I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I tell you what, I think we need to do. We need to, as a nation, sue Mexico for not keeping their people over on their, <laughs> yes. side of their country. Right? No kidding. <laughs> No kidding. Um, but no, yeah. So back 
back to the guns. Listen, it's 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 very clear. The Second Amendment is is absolutely uninfringible. Uh, we have a right to our arms and anything that comes down the pipe against the Second Amendment. I'm going to be standing resolutely against because I just feel like the best thing for um, our nation and for our federal government is when they fear the people. I mean, they really, they need to understand that the people um, are who they work for. And they've reversed that and they've reversed it very, very um, cunningly by enlarging government to the point that uh, it seems like everybody's on the government milk bottle, whether it's from working for the government or getting, you know, free money from the government. Um, And so, it causes people to question, oh, wait a minute, do I want to go against the government? Because that's my, that's my handout. That's my food. That's my, you know, I'm, I'm biting the hand that feeds me if I do that. My sugar daddy. Yeah, Yeah. my sugar daddy. But, but absolutely. Um, I think there's enough people in this country that still work hard, um, that aren't on government handout or government feedings. And those people that are bearing arms are the ones that are keeping the government in check. Yeah, that's good. I, I, I think it's great, great response. Uh, when the government fears the people, uh, the people live in freedom. When the people yeah. fear the government, the people live in tyranny. So, yep, yeah, that's exactly good. Right. That's good. Uh, all right, uh, border security. What do we do about that? And that's on that. Okay, so this is funny because I actually was talking to someone the other day in Evansville about that. And I was like, well, if you just wanted me to talk about it from my own personal opinion, not a federal candidate, I'd say, let's get the trucker convoys to go down there and just park their semis, you know, bumper to bumper all the way across and, and put our, uh, you know, National Guard right behind them and say, just dare you to cross these semis. Love it. But, um, I, I mean, it almost feels like we have to do something super extravagant like that to get the point across. But, you know, Trump started with building the wall and we need to complete it. I cannot believe that in our uh, advanced technological society that we can't get that wall built. It's just absolutely crazy. They'll spend billions of dollars on all this uh, frivolous pork, but they won't build a wall that's going to protect our nation. As far as um, some of the more practical steps, I mean, there are things like our immigration reform hasn't been in, nothing's been done with it since I think the last time they did something was like in 2005. So, you know, we need to definitely uh, do some, make it a little more friendly to to people who are legal and are coming here by the correct uh, means. As far as the the people that are here illegally, well, I know it sounds, this sounds so harsh, and and this is an argument people have, but it's unloving and it's unkind, but hey, we're a rule of law nation, so we need to abide by the rule of law, and if you're here illegally, I'm sorry, you took that trek and you came across the desert or across the ocean or what you were willing to put your life in peril to come to a country where you get a free handout go back to your country and do something with your government you know bring your people together like we did when we founded this nation bring your people together and reform the government in your your nations that you hate so much it's just it's ridiculous they're here illegally they need to go back that's good. Uh, I, I love that. Now, in our own state, I would love us to just, you know, we could just 
send everybody to New York or Washington, D.C. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, listen, uh, if we get a, a good governor and a lieutenant governor and some uh, some state leaders, then maybe we can uh, start doing that, shipping, uh, shipping illegals to uh, the sanctuary cities because they want them so bad. I think it's, our yeah. attorney general will join, join that. Oh, absolutely. Todd Rakita. Todd Rakita yeah. would be all over that. Absolutely. He it would. would be. Yep. No. Yep. Um, okay. So uh, last question. Uh, well, let me, let me say two more. I want to talk about the national debt because uh, I, I think that's really important. Uh, and then I want to get to Ukraine and Israel and more or less this idea of where's the line? What do we do when it comes to supporting our allies as opposed to, um, you know, shooting ourselves in the foot to support our allies? So, so first of all, um, let's, let's hit the national debt. What, uh, what do you think we should do there? It's uh, it's like thirty six gazillion trillion billion dollars, whatever it is now. I mean, it's just like an outrageous amount of number. Uh, number, and I think the interest on the on the debt is going to be higher than our national GDP. I think in about a year or two. So, uh, which yeah, is- I think we're we're like at debt to GDP is like a hundred and twenty percent or something. Ah, oh, man, that's I uh, mean, it's it's that's bad. ludicrous. That's it's worse. Literally. That's worse than Greece. What uh, it, the situation they were in? Uh, what twelve years ago when their whole economy crashed and about took down the whole European Union? So well, you know what's so funny is that if you talk like that, if you say, "Okay, well, the dollar is going to implode. It cannot continue like this," and people get all offensive and they get upset. Well, this is America. That's not going to happen. You know why could it happen to every nation except us? Why do people talk like that? Like things are never going to. Um, you know, yeah. our, our dollars always going to, why do they do that? It they don't know, they don't know history. I mean, we are a dumbed down yeah. society. We think that freedom has always been this way. We think it's like, oh yeah, like freedom just is free. Like nothing, nothing bad ever has to happen for us to be free. And, and I, I hear this, I mean, even within our own party, within, within Christian, I mean, Christians too. I mean, this is everybody. It's not just the, the woke uneducated left. It's the, it's, you know, I, I hear it on the conservative side of th- things too, where people just don't know history and, and it's like, man, if you don't know history, you're, you're really, you're really doomed to repeat it. And that's, I think what's right. going to happen. Yeah. Well, and it's not just knowing history either. It's actually knowing the current time. So, you know, they say all the time, they're like, oh, government shut down, government shut down. And people, they panic, uh, especially um, when, when they're not aware. And a lot of people aren't because, okay, well, first of all, people are busy, right? So they're raising their families. They're working. Some of them are working two jobs. You've got husband and wife both working to fund, um, you know, the two household income and, and people are busy. And then on top of that, you've got politicians that just send out sound bites. So I don't know that I've ever seen any politician send out one of those expensive, shiny six by nine mailers and have educational pieces on there. It's all the, the talking points. And the thing is, is that people don't necessarily know. So when they say, oh, the government's going to shut down, you know, you've got my mom, who's 91 years old, going, well, I can't live without my Social Security check. I depend on that. And she doesn't even realize, Mom, your Social Security check won't come. It's not funded under that. Or, I mean, it will come. It's not funded under that issue. So you will continue to get your Social Security check. Or or they'll say, um, you know, the food stamps. Well, no, SNAP will continue to provide the food stamps. It's, it's different things, littler things. And, and government doesn't shut down like nobody goes to work. That doesn't happen. But most people think when they say government shutdown, everything stops. And that's not, that's not the issue at all. And I think that's the frustration I feel because 
they actually, um, I mean, we've shut down the government before in, in years past and, and it's had very little effect. In fact, many people didn't even know that the government was shut down, <laughs> which, which tells you how important, uh, the federal government really is in our lives. Right. It's like they shut down and I, right. I didn't even know. Oh my goodness. Like, and I, I mean, they might be disruptive and they might lead to some delays, you know, like, but it's going to be delays in like passports or, um, you know, small business loans, uh, um, some other things that I had looked up and saw, um, oh, maybe food safety inspections or uh, the bathroom at, at your state parks. But for the most part, the very essential things, they're going to continue. But the, the thing about a shutdown is that it forces. Okay, so they were just on a two-week two hiatus, right? Why were they on two weeks off when they needed to be there in Washington getting this resolved? And so then they come back and they've got, oh, 48 hours and we've got to push something through. That didn't even make sense. Let's do your work first, and then you can go take your two weeks off um, to go campaign or do whatever it is they need to do. But it's frustrating to me because it's, they hyper-talk. Oh, we're going to do this. We're going to do that. And then when it comes down to the wire, it's like, oh, crud, let's just do it the way we've always done it. Well, it's, uh, it's a big task. I think that's probably going to be one of the hardest lifts for you as a congressman to, to fix the, the debt crisis. But, you know, I'm glad, I'm glad you're thinking the way you are because at least, at least you're, uh, you, you recognize the problem. And, and I don't know if we're going to be able to get out of this one. It might take a, it might take a collapse of our dollar for us to actually, uh, get, get out of this. Uh, it's going to hurt really bad, but, but maybe not. Maybe we can send good people like yourself into Washington and, and, uh, you guys could fix it and help us to avoid the chaos that would ensue from a crash um okay hey last question um uh ukraine and israel it's a big topic right now what do we do uh with uh standing with our allies and uh what what are they separate are they the same do do we treat them both equally what what's your what's your thoughts on that well i mean it's okay so this is a this is a really hard topic and this is not one of those black and white things that you can just say okay, we're just not going to fund anybody in the, we're going to become isolationists. I, and I know a lot of people say that and they get the rah-rah, but it doesn't work like that. And and that's one of my frustrations with many candidates that run for office is because they try to throw these sound bites out there to just get the popular vote. And I really want people to be educated and understand that it's not so easy. There is, we ha- we've become the place of the world, right? We shouldn't be, but we have become the place of the world. And so at that point, um, we understand the value of Israel and we understand the importance of standing with Israel. And at the same time, what does that, what does that cost us in lives? You know, if I had my personal brothers, I would bring every one of our military people home so they could be with their families and they could be with their moms in there. I mean, I have three in there now. And I said, boys, really, you couldn't wait a year till we had the Republican president. But um, back to the reality of it is that, you know, we absolutely have to stand with Israel, but we absolutely have to take care of America. I mean, we have to take care of America first. And the frustration for me is that we could have very easily, when when this whole thing with Ukraine and Russia erupted, we could have very easily just sent a plethora of our military there and said, okay, Russia, if you even think about it, you're dealing with, with America. We could have shown a really strong arm and just ended that. But we don't. We continue. And, and war profiteering, that's been going on forever, Mike. I mean, it's been going on since the inception of the nation. 
And I, I understand the intricacies of all that, but that's a very, what you're asking is a very tough question. We stand with Israel, but yet we have to take care of America first. So drawing that line is very hard to, to make it straight in the sand, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, I think with, with Israel, I mean, Israel's easy in the sense of they're not asking America for anything. I mean, they're not, right. they're, they're not, Absolutely. I think standing with Israel is literally just us getting on the world stage and saying, let Israel wipe these terrorists off the face of the earth and mm-hmm. back off and let them do their job. Whereas Ukraine, they're saying, give us more money, give us more money. And we don't even know where that money's going. We don't, well, we don't know. That's, that's yeah. the thing. Yeah, exactly. They're, they're not, it doesn't feel like, um, now, I'll probably get in trouble for this, and that's fine. But it kind of feels a little bit like a Vietnam, right? Where, what, what is the outcome? What is our goal? I need to see the vision. What are we accomplishing? Yeah. Give, me that, give me that goal, and I'm okay to need it. But to just keep funneling money into it? Wait a minute. Like you said, where's the money going? What are they doing with it? What's happening? That's frustrating Americans. Yeah. Because Americans, the heart of America is we will stand with the vulnerable. Yeah. We're not going to let somebody get picked on, right? That is the heart of America. But when it when you don't see that advancement and you just see somebody saying, "Well, here, give me more." Well, here, give me more. Here, then people are like, "Well, wait a minute now. <laughs> yeah, where do we draw the line in the sand?" Yeah, that's good. That's good. Well, Christy, I really appreciate you being with us today. And uh, uh, Nathan's going to be really sorry he missed this interview because it was good. And there was a, those were hard-hitting questions. Uh, it's great insight from a national level to a local level. You've got you've got uh, just a wealth of just wisdom. I, I've always enjoyed talking with you because you, you can look at it from uh, a lot of different perspectives. And, and I think you, you have a heart for the Lord, which is obviously something that I really value about you. And uh, so best of luck to you. Uh, again, tell people where they can go go to support you and, uh, and, and help out. Yeah. So Christy risk, K R I S T I R I S K.com. We need volunteers. We definitely need money and we need people to spread the word, especially in the churches. You know, Micah, if the churches would rise up and vote, they could change the trajectory. Amazing. It's 33 million uh, Christians in America don't vote. There was a study done by Barna a few years ago. 33 million. And it's sad. It's it's really sad. Well, the church, the church in America has become a, uh, basically a country club and it's a been a pathetic mm-hmm. i mean they're not they're not warriors i mean most pastors would they don't touch politics but not because not because they they don't know it or, or they don't believe that they should it's because they're scared they're just scared yeah. and, and uh charles finney said if satan is ruling in the ha- halls of legislation there's no one to blame but that of the pulpits and he was a he was the abolitionist in the 1800s mm-hmm. and so he basically said the reason america's having problems is because churches haven't done their job when it comes to politics and and uh, people will say, oh, separation of church and state, not even knowing anything about what that, that that's not even a thing in the Constitution. There's no nowhere in the Constitution do you see the term separation of church and state. You see the state can't come into the church and tell the church what to do, but the founders right. always believed the church was going to be the moral compass of the government. It had to be. And that's where well, our, that's the yeah. thing. The pastors, you know, you said they're scared. Of course, that 501c3, that's another thing. That's a whole different topic, but maybe you and Nathan can address that in the future. But the thing is, is that, it doesn't exist. Let me address it right now. It doesn't exist. There's never been a church that's lost their 501c3 for speaking right. out on politics. So that's right. That's such a You're boogie. Exactly yeah, right. yeah. 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 And that's my point. You know, they, the pastors, they're just, they're being complacent and they need to come alive because they literally have so much more power than what they recognize. But I think once they 
we fan that flame and they realize that and they come alive, things are going to change in this nation, yeah. but it's going to be through the church. Part of, part of me is, uh, is uh, when the day comes when pastors are getting their churches shut down, like these big mega churches, and the government comes yep. in and says, you can't preach anymore because we don't like what you're saying. I'm, gonna just, I'm just going to smile and be standing in the background. It's going to be like, no, nah, I told you so, and you didn't mm-hmm. listen, and now you get to you know not have your comforts because you were a wuss. So now we're really in a bind, and we're really <laughs> going to have to fight. But I hope it doesn't get there, but if it does, there's yeah. going to be part of me that's going to be like, nah, nah, I told you so. And uh so, but you know, it's, it's the same thing that happened in Germany. I mean, it was the church in Germany that allowed Hitler to go on and, and there was only, there was only a couple Dietrich Bonhoeffers. I mean, there was very few pastors that were willing to stand up and say, this is wrong. We're going to engage. But now we look back and we see Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a, was a hero and the church on the whole in, in, uh, in Germany in 1930s, they were, they were the, the culprits to be honest with you. So, um, I do see pastors rising up, and you know, I think you were talking about um, some of the threats in in the establishment or whatever you want to want to call that people of power in the Republican Party. Um, I think that's uh, something that they fear yeah. is that the church would rise up because um, instead of partnering, they they think the church is going to come against them, but really the church is aligned with the the platform of the Republican Party to be a great resource, um, and it would be a great resource to move the needle in Washington. And the thing is, is here's my biggest frustration. People want to sit back and say, Oh, Washington's so horrible. Oh, it's a pit of darkness. Well, you know what, when you don't send people of moral with a moral compass to Washington, DC, yes, it is. And and what, what else would you expect? It's like, it's like going out to tell somebody about the Lord who doesn't know the Lord, who maybe is an atheist or whatever, and expecting them to act like a, a Christian would or to have morals and values. Why would you expect that? They're not, they're not a Christian, so they're no. not going to act like one. Why do you expect Washington, D.C. to not be corrupt if you're not sending people who aren't corrupt to Washington, D.C.? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> That's right. It's a it's a mission field that's been abandoned by the church. People say, "Wow, pastor going into politics." That's that's odd. That shouldn't be odd. We've actually, if you go to statutory uh, uh, statuary hall in uh, in Washington D.C. there in the Capitol, uh, a third of the statues that you see are are pastors, people who mm-hmm. who are pastors engaged in the world of government because they knew God. They saw it as a mission field, and they saw it as as God's goodness needs to be in this arena as well. And so, well, I mean, where did government come from? It came, came from, from God. God. It came yeah. from biblical principles. That's yeah. Right. yeah. So, yeah. well, anyway, hey, Christy, no. thank you so much. It's been a been a joy to have you on, and um, I I hope it's uh, I, I I just thank you for rising up, stepping up, and serving. Uh, you're going to do great things. So keep it up. Well, thank you. Appreciate it. Have a good day, Micah. Thank you. Hey, it's been Jesus X and politics guys keep standing for truth don't abandon the call take the gospel into all the world uh with the light of jesus we know we can uh we can win so all right guys uh, we'll see you next time 